Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today I want to talk to you about the importance of why do we go to church? I was raised in church. All my life I was in church. Whenever I got out of the house, I stayed faithful to church. My children went to church. My wife and all of us went together as a family. It goes from generation to generation. Why do we need to go to church? We're going to talk about it from the Word of God. It changes your life, but also brings great stability into your life. This is God's purpose in our life, that we keep coming back to the church for instruction. Let's go to the Word of God together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Today I just want to talk about a subject that is really close to my heart, and that's why I go to church. Uh, I was raised in church, uh, saved at five years old in church. Uh, got filled with the Spirit at seven years old in church. I'd just been in church all my life. My dad was of that persuasion. As long as the church doors are open, we're going to be there. And, uh, you know, as for me and my house, he spoke for our house. We didn't give a voice on this one. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, you know, when you're really young, that's not the thing you want to do. I missed, you know, a lot of things about school because I was in church. And so anyway, but as I grew up, I began to find out one thing, you know, and that was that church was more important than anything. It literally shaped my life. And when I began to do the same thing with my children, my son and my daughter, they're faithful to go to church. And so my son's involved in church as an associate pastor and our grandchildren are raised that way. In other words, you go to church. It's just part of life. You don't have a choice in it. You don't give your children a choice in it. It's something that one of those things they learn to adapt to. You know, uh, there's a, a man that was teaching one time about children. He was talking about children. You know, they don't even like good things in life. They just, they, they want to resist everything. And so he said the way that they taught their children how to eat vegetables. He said when they were very little and sitting in that, you know, that little chair at the end of the, of the table and they were feeding the child, you know, and they had a little bib around him and all that, they would take the uh, vegetables and smash them up and then put them on the back of a spoon. He said, I put them on the back of the spoon and put it in their mouth and pull it out of their mouth this way to where the food stuck to the roof of their mouth. He said, they'd be there going, nah, 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 nah. He said, they had a look on their face like, nah, as they did that. And he said, the reason why we do that, he said, the longer it stays in their mouth, the more they tongue it around. He said, what happens is they get used to it. Then after a while, they begin to like it. It becomes a part of their life. Oftentimes, there's things we don't like in life, but the more we stick with it, the more we find out how important it is later. And going to church is that way. I actually ran into a couple that had gone to our church for years and hadn't seen them for years. And so I was in a mall one day and I looked at it. I said, where are you going to church? He said, oh, we're not going to church. We paid our dues. There's no such thing as paying your dues. You don't go to church for so long and you finally pay a bill. That's not the way it is. In fact, I'm going to tell you this, heaven will be a church service forever and forever. I know you have a mansion there, but there's praise and worship going on and on forever. And you're going to find out the immense gratitude you're going to have for somebody training you and raising you up in church here on this earth. Church is the most important part of your life because this is where the bulk of discipleship takes place. So evangelism is mainly primarily accomplished in the world, although we get people saved in church, but it's primarily accomplished in the world. Jesus didn't say go into all the churches and preach the gospel. He said go into all the world and preach the gospel. But then on the other hand, maturity takes place in a local church primarily. Not that it can't take place with your children at home and it can't take place in a Bible study, maybe at your office where you go, but church is the place where you go where primarily Primarily, this is where you grow maturity in the things of God. And this is where you become a disciple of the Lord. I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 3. We're going to take a look at verses 6 through 8. 
And really the, the book of Acts is really revolving around local churches. The very first chapters, the uh, main church where everybody came out of and revival took place and evangelism took place and soul winning took place was in that local church there in Jerusalem. After that, by the time we get to chapter 11, the church at Antioch is springing up and that's where evangelism and teaching of the word of God and maturity came for the Gentiles of that area. That was a church primarily launching out into Gentiles. Later on, by the time we come toward the end of the book of Acts, we're talking about the church at Ephesus and other churches being formed all over the place. Again, when they went to a place, they got people saved. And the next thing they did was they started local churches. So again, I was raised in church and I, I love it. Now that I'm now that I'm older, older, haven't got old yet, but older. I'm still a part of a church, and uh, although I don't pastor this church, I go. I'm faithful on Sunday mornings. Uh, they have a midweek service. I'm there on Wednesday nights, and uh, this past Wednesday night, I was there, and uh, the pastor wasn't there, but he had a, a somebody filling in, and you know, I've gone before on a midweek night when he wasn't there, but I still go, and sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're okay, and you don't know what to expect. There's a real temptation. Why don't I just stay at home because it's the pastor that's not teaching, and after all, you can get this idea he's the only good one, but I went this last Wednesday night, and there was, there was a young man who was an associate in the uh, youth department. Boy, was he good. I mean, I learned some great things there. I'm thinking, I don't even know this kid, but you know what? He's really, really good and showed me some things out of the word of God. And I caught things I'd never seen before. So again, going to church is always great. And it's also the people that you meet there. You can't fellowship around a television. You can't fellowship around a computer screen, but you can fellowship around real people. And I guarantee you, when you get to heaven, you won't sit there and watch what's going on around the throne of God on a computer screen. You're going to go there and be there because why? There'll be myriads of people and angels worshiping God. And the praise and worship was just totally out of sight. But you know what? You need to be there to experience it. And also, again, heaven will be that way forever and forever. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 3. We're in the opening of the book of Acts. And this is the first miracle recorded in the book of Acts. Right after Peter's sermon in chapter two, that saw, you know, 3,000 saved on top of the 120 that came down from the upper room and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now in chapter three, verses six through eight, we have a miracle here about the man at the gate, beautiful. Here it says in verse six, Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. I want you to notice here that this man was, was saved because of the healing that took place. Somewhere on those bounces that he was taking where he went walking and leaping and praising God, so Somewhere in the third or fourth leap, he must have been, you know, gave, gave his life to Jesus Christ because with that kind of miracle, been there almost all of his life, people knew him from everywhere. This one miracle brought over 5,000 people to the Lord. And so you'd think this man that God was bound to be saved. And sure enough, I'm, I know he was. And because he said in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this was a name he'd been hearing for, for years in right there at the gate coming into the city. And he'd heard about Jesus, probably saw Jesus from a distance, but never had been healed by him. But now he, he is healed through Peter and through John who were ministering to him at that time. And I want you to notice something. After he was healed, he followed them, went with them into the temple. And I want you to notice something. We are supposed to do this. We are supposed to win people in the world. We're supposed to lay hands on the sick in the world. 
In other words, it's not something we do only in church. Do we witness in church? Yes. And do we heal, see people get healed in church? Yes. That's the, in the uh, book of James chapter five, verse 14. That's where we get people healed in church, but it mainly belongs out in the world. This is where evangelism takes place and healing, laying on of hands is part of our evangelism to win people and bring them into the Lord. So, Evangelism is primarily accomplished in the world. Maturity primarily occurs in church under a pastor. And this whole thing is new converts should follow us to church. We should win them in the world and then help bring them to church. If they need to be picked up, we find. We give them the address of the church. Tell them you'll meet them there at the front door. You'll be waiting for them. That puts a little pressure on them that they're thinking, well, I've never gone to this church. I don't know anybody there. In fact, I've never gone to church. I don't know what it's all about, but this friend's going to meet me there. Okay, that's why I'll go. And so again, new converts should follow us to church. Although soul winning is mainly accomplished in the world, soul winning in church, though, is also God's will. It's fine to do that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we find in verses 24 and 25 that the gifts of the Spirit operating in church are to help win people who come there that don't know the Lord and introduce them to the Lord. Prophecy can be for edification, exhortation, and comfort, but we can also have prophecy being used in the church and revealing the hearts of people and those that don't know the Lord will accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, there's a, a you know, prophecy can also be tongue and interpretation. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the opening of the, of the chapter tells us that a prophecy can take the place of tongue and interpretation. It just bypasses the tongue, goes straight to the interpretation. It's called prophecy. And so uh, anyway, there was a, a prophecy given one time and a man said when it first came in church, it was a tongue and interpretation that day, pardon me. It was a tongue and interpretation that day and he heard the tongue and thought, what kind of weird place is this? He said, I've heard about this speaking with tongues. He said, I was so tempted to get up and leave. But the moment it was over and somebody gave that word I could understand in English, he said, good Lord, they nailed me. It's like God was just opening up my heart. He said, I know nobody knew that, but I knew that. And so at the end of the service, he gave his life to Jesus, gave us the praise report. And this verse, I used it afterwards to notice it says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24 and verse 25, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he's convicted by all, thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. So falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Every sermon should have an element of soul winning in it. So if an unbeliever is present, he can be saved, but also if the church operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which again says two or three in this chapter, that that should be the limit of them because the main thing we've come is to hear the word of God. And so uh, this is telling us that we are to do that. And it's all right though, to go out and get unbelievers and bring them to church. This is fine to do. In fact, we're told if the church is running low on people, if it's not full of people, we are to go to the streets and compel them to come in so that God's house can be full. And those that we compel to come in since they're off the streets are bound to be many, many unbelievers. This is God's word for us. This is God's desire for us. But again, I want you to notice something. The main place we get them saved is the world. The main place we get them disciples in the church service because that's where the word of God should be taught and opened up. And so we don't want to just as Christians take it to where, well, the church is going to get them saved. I don't need to get them saved. It's going to happen there. The minority of people are saved in church. Even if you see nine or 10 people come down or 50 people come down, 
and get born again, what's that compared to the number of people in the congregation? It could be out winning one soul a day. One soul a day. If you've got two or 300 people in church, that's two or 300 people a day that receive Jesus. Can you imagine if we invited them to church, how full our churches would be if we would just take the spiritual admonition to go into the highways and hedges and compel them and compel them first to receive Jesus then compel them to come to church, lay hands on the sick, see them recover. I was in Walmart one day going through the line to get out. And the lady behind there was, they're usually happy, at least have a smile on their face, whether they're happy or not. But she just looked like something was wrong. I said, is there something wrong? She said, yeah, my daughter really, really is sick. And she said, I just wish I wasn't here. I wish I was at home with her and I don't know what to do. I said, are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, do you believe in healing? She said, well, I don't know. And I said, give me your hand. I said, right now, don't even think about what's wrong with her. All I want you to do is receive. Just open up yourself and receive this like I'm handing you something. She closed her eyes. I prayed for her daughter. After it was over, she said, wow, I kind of, I felt that. I said, good. I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened. I didn't see her again, but I expect to see her in heaven. And I trust what she's going to say is my daughter was healed that day. And because she was, I want to thank you for it. There is reaching out. And you know what? If that person hadn't been saved and she would have gone home without receiving him in front of me, she might have received him at home. I'll be back right after halftime. We'll talk more about this, the importance of going to church. At the dawn of the church age, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and power to his followers. From Pentecost, they were led by his Spirit to blaze a trail through the hazardous maze of pagan cultures and religious legalism. Like wildfire, the gospel spread through the known world, bringing salvation to a whole generation and triumph and trial to the church. In a New Testament commentary on Acts, Bob Yannion explores the exploits of those sent to uproot the binding vines of religion and philosophy and to sow the kingdom of God. Through evaluations of early congregations and detailed descriptions of their cities, Pastor Bob walks us through the exciting, perilous adventure of the early church. Order a New Testament commentary on Acts at bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership.
In Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42, the first local church began the day that the church began. On the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out and signs and wonders and miracles began to occur, preaching in the streets, it says on that particular day that on the day that the church began, in verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day were added to them about 3,000 souls, and they, they the 3,000 souls, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. This is the four things the local church should be founded around. And again, once they were saved, they brought them to the church. And it says in the church, they continued, first of all, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Again, I'm pointing out to you, in fact, the book we're offering is my book on the book of Acts. But again, what I'm saying is the different sections of the book of Acts revolve around a church. The opening of the book of Acts starts with the church at Jerusalem, then about chapter 11, the church at Antioch, reaching out to the Gentile world later on Ephesus and the other churches that Paul raised up began churches out themselves. But again, each part of the book of Acts, the different sections again revolve around a local church, sending out missionaries and uh, people uh, bringing people to the church there. It's important you understand that. But one thing here in this verse of scripture, Acts chapter two and verse 41 and verse 42 really tells what every church should be built around. The those who get saved, and these 3,000 were saved out on the street, and they came to church, and the day that, again, the, the uh, uh, universal church started, the local church also began. They, the 3,000, continued steadfastly. That word steadfastly is important because some people will continue to church for a while, but steadfastly means they put their foot down. They told their family is for me in this house. We are going to serve God and we're going to church because the church again is the main place where discipleship is accomplished. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. I want you to note there are people in the body of Christ anointed by God and called by God to teach and preach the word of God. It doesn't mean that other people can't fill that pulpit from time to time, or you have a classroom or you have a teacher in there, but it may not be to the level of the pastor. What I'm saying is there's always somebody you need to call as your pastor, the main one you learn the word of God from. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And I want you to notice the doctrine here is the teaching. They need the teaching of the word of God. Secondly is fellowship. You know, there's something about church that has fellowship. You can't get it anywhere else. Oh, you might go to Christian meetings a few times and you get some things there, but you can't get fellowship like you do in a church. My wife and I, a number of months ago, were going to church on Sunday morning. We walked up the sidewalk. The doors were open. Greeters were welcoming people in. But you know what? The roar in that main area where you first went in, that first place, you know, the gathering place inside the front door was packed with people in the talk. You could hear it outside. And I just told my wife walking in, this is what heaven's gonna sound like. It's gonna be forever having the word of God, praise and worship, but also fellowship, fellowship with people. This is the kind of fellowship you can't get anywhere else because no one can fellowship like two Christians. You can't get it at the office because you can only fellowship around maybe things going on in the office or what's going on a person life, but in church, you can talk about eternal things. And the point of it is this person you're talking to, you'll be with them forever in heaven, but you just love talking to them down here. And the fellowship goes on. There has actually been times when the service began, praise and worship started, and the ushers had to go out and start telling people, get into the auditorium, come on, because they want to stay out there and fellowship with coffee and cookies and things like that. The second thing, again, they came after 
learning the apostles' doctrine was fellowship, then the breaking of bread. This is meals around the church to where sometimes, I mean, this isn't just talking about, you know, the communion table. Oh, that's that's a breaking of bread. But this is talking about actual meals that were held in church where they came, sat down around tables, broke bread together, had, you know, whatever, stew or beans or whatever they had. And they had meals with each other because one of the first things that happens when we get to heaven, all of us get to heaven, is we're gonna go through that time where we're going to have the marriage supper of the lamb. And finally, it says in prayers also, it's great to pray at home. It's great to have, you know, a time of your own where you pray to God, but there's just something about group prayer. There's a special presence of God when people get together and pray and lift up their voices before God. So they continued standing in the apostles' doctrine. They had fellowship with each other. They had the breaking of bread, which is communion, but they also had meals with each other. And the meals are described in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 17 through 22, how the people met there and had meals together. And then in chapter 12, we have the story of Peter in prison and the church met together and they prayed for Peter in prison. He was set free. So there needs to be times in church where we pray over the church needs, evangelists that you support, missions you support, sick people in the church, Peter in prison, and you see amazing things happen. I've told the story before, but there was a time in church where I began the sermon and an usher came up and said, I hate to interrupt you, but we just got a call from one of our missionaries and his wife is dying right now. And they're so far from any doctors or anything, but he found a phone and called us and wants us to pray for him right now. And I told him, so I told the whole congregation, stop. And we all prayed for his wife. And then I went back to the sermon. We got a phone call just a little bit later saying she immediately got well. And we asked what time. It was the very same time we prayed in the church service. There's the power of united prayer together. If two shall agree on earth, well, what happens when you get three joining together? If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. Every person that joins us in prayer multiplies our power 10 times. So when you get that many people praying, it's good to see hell go on the run because people believe together, join their faith together, and lift up the needs of others. Church is where our individual ministries begin. In Acts chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, we have the story of the seven men that were chosen out of the church to take over the role to help the women in the church, the widows in the church, with the daily uh, food that they needed, the finances they needed. And the names of the men that were chosen on that day were Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. And when they were set before all the apostles of the church, the Bible said they laid their hands on them. And the first two that are mentioned there, Philip and Stephen, occupy the next chapter. Stephen occupies the next chapter and a half. And then also Philip after that with a great revival later on in Samaria. Again, they started out as just deacons in the church. So a church is where the individual ministries begin. And it doesn't necessarily take God speaking to you as you're praying in your bedroom or you're off somewhere else. He speaks to you about your ministry. It can happen while you're in church and while you were there again. Again, I was raised in church. And I did that. I just volunteered for whatever position I could have. I helped start churches. My wife and I were there with the pastor as he started church. We did whatever our hand could find to do. I, I loved audio. And in fact, I even had an audio store for a while that I managed. And so I did cassette tapes. I taught a class. I worked on the audio equipment. Later on, ended up teaching at Rama because they heard me teach in a church class and asked me to teach at Rama. 
Then after that, I pastored for 33 years, and now I've got this ministry, but it all started out just volunteering in a church, how important it is to help the people of God in whatever way you can. It may be behind the scenes in a room with five or six children or five or six uh, you know, uh, older children or nursery workers or whatever it may be, but this is where the work begins. Church is where missions works begin. Acts chapter 13, verses one through three says, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. It says, as they ministered to the Lord, they were in a church service and probably here had a special time where they got together to fellowship and have prayer and they just decided to minister to the Lord. So they were lifting up their hands, probably singing and ministering praise and worship to the Lord. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, probably came through the mouth of one of the prophets in the service because it said back there in the beginning of that verse, it says there were certain prophets and teachers. So probably it was a prophet that spoke out and said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. Far before this time, they knew they had a calling on their life. But in this verse of scripture said, now separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have past tense called them. They had been called by God, but were waiting and waiting and waiting for that time of separation. When the door would open and now a prophet begins and speaks to the group that was there and that caused them again, they brought them together, they laid hands on them, they prayed over them, they sent them away and Paul and Barnabas went on that first missionary trip and the churches were started in Galatia and some other places around there. Again, there comes a time when in church you can know your calling. If, if like me, I was in college when I began to realize it, but you know what led up to that point? I was faithful even in college, my junior year, I was still driving back and forth to Tulsa, some uh, 80 miles every weekend just to go to be there in, in choir practice on Saturday when I got back and then also sing in the choir on Sunday, but be there and then leave Sunday afternoon and go back to, to school again. I did that every week for the three years that I was in college and finally, again, I was there in that in my junior year and the Lord spoke to me in my room and said, you're gonna be a teacher in the body of Christ. Well, I was so glad I found my calling. I was so glad that, you know, I now knew what I was supposed to do. So I went back, went to Bible school, even put myself more into the local church and God raised me up through that. Faithful, faithful, faithful is what God is talking about, but not just faithful outside the church, helping with some missions organization in town or working with the homeless. That's all wonderful, that's great. But the greatest place you can work is in the local church because what you're doing is helping raise up people to go out and be ministers themselves. So we find on those missionary trips that all occurred, here was the church in Antioch again, sending people out into the Gentile world of which Paul was mainly called to do, go to the Gentile world. Paul took Barnabas on the very first missionary journey he went to. Later on after that, he took Silas with him. So Barnabas was prepared and Barnabas eventually became the pastor of the church at Antioch, but began also with those missions trips he went on with Paul. 
Silas then went out with him later on. And then after that, Paul began to take teams with him out of this church. I mean, there's times that uh, Luke was writing the book of Acts and would talk about us. We, we went with Paul and the Lord instructed us. Those teams were out there with him and the team involved sometimes five, six people at a time. And when the revival was hitting in Ephesus, Paul's team members had actually been in churches before he got there and he had to get notes to them and somehow find ways to get them to come and be with him because he has them spread out everywhere. When the revival started at Philippi, Paul left some of his team back there and they started a church in Philippi. Went to other churches after that, Thessalonica and Berea, and churches began there. And finally, by the time that Paul got to Ephesus and uh, Corinth, he had run out of people. He was by himself and had to make tents to support himself. But you know what he'd been doing? Sowing people all along there that had been with him at the church in Antioch. How important it is to go to church. One of the best places to find the call that God has on your life. And later on, like I said, he took teams members with him. And finally, Paul's financial and team leader help came from the churches he had been to when he was in financial straits and had no team members. The churches that had supported him continued to give extra to him, and Paul found his way out of the problems he was in. Are you involved in a local church? Get involved in a local church. It will change your life. See you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.